Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah. So glad you guys are here with us this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, thank you so much. I know you could have been a lot of other places this morning, but you chose to be with us, and we are truly grateful for that. And so, uh, my name is Michael. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point Church, uh, but our pastor, Pastor David, our lead pastor, is actually on vacation with Linnell, uh, his wife, and uh, they're somewhere between the, the Catskills or the Adirondacks, I don't know, somewhere in the mountains. And so um, uh, they, they just kind of got lost somewhere in the USA. And so um, excited for them just to uh, nurture their vitality. Lord knows they need it after the last couple months they've had. And so just be in prayer for them as they are uh, uh, doing just that and as they're heading, uh, coming back this way uh, towards us. Uh, he'll be back with us next Sunday. And so um, <clears throat> this message we're going to be uh, in, uh, in the book of Revelation this morning, if you guys want to turn there, Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be continuing in the series uh, Free. Uh, it's a series we started a couple of weeks. This is our third week, I believe, in, in uh, Free. And um, today we're going to be talking about the worthlessness of apathy. That's a mouthful. And uh, that's a, it kind of sets the tone. It's not going to be, it's not going to be the funnest message this morning, you guys. And so uh, I expect uh, that God has been uh, smacking me around about it all week long. And so if he's been doing that with me, I expect that he's going to do it with you this morning. And so uh, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer in just a second and ask for his grace as we uh, look into the very words of life this morning. And so, um, but you know, as we talk about this passage, uh, it's a very familiar passage. Um, it's a, it's, it, there's two really big uh, uh, parts in this passage that we kind of um, hear, we hear often, and uh, we kind of think of it's in the back of our mind, but uh, the problem with um, familiarity, sometimes familiarity breeds ignorance, and what I mean by that is not to call you ignorant or stupid, but, um, you know, it, when we hear, um, you know, things over and over again, sometimes we kind of lose sight of what it is, it just kind of hits us, but doesn't really hit us, you know, hits us like a, a soft breath instead of how it should hit sometimes, and, and one of the ways, uh, one of the things that I think about that is, is, um, you know, April and I, she was watching this video and kind of pulled me into it, this video about um, misheard lyrics. You guys ever uh, seen one of those? You know, I, I mean, I, I for years, uh, I would sing, you know, Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza. It's, that's not the song, no, it's Hold Me Closer, Tiny Dancer, you know, but uh, I don't know why I thought it was Tony Danza, you know. But, um, you know, we just, we hear those things and we, and we hear it, but, and then one day you're going through, like, looking at the lyrics and you're like, wait a minute. That's not right at all, you know, and I think that's kind of uh, some of what this is going to be this morning for some of us. You know, we, we hear these passages and they become familiar, um, but in their familiarity, we miss uh, the importance and the potency of what God is trying to say to us this morning. And so, um, so uh, <clears throat> why don't we just uh, get into the word and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Okay? Uh, Revelation chapter three, starting in verse 14, and we're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter verse 22, okay? It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were hot or cold, so that because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. 
Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as also I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. We thank you for the amazing truth from your word. I pray that you would be with us this morning as we dive into your words. We see the worthlessness of apathy, Lord. Father, that we would attack the worthlessness of apathy, that we could overcome this morning, Lord. That, Father, that, that we would not be in bondage to it, Lord. And Father, we pray that you would help us reveal to us this morning your truth and so that we could know, uh, Father, your love for us and your care and your current concern for us so that we might live a life that's worthy of the gospel. So, Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that you watch over us, that you uh, just give us an understanding that surpasses anything that maybe that we've had before. We ask and pray all these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. So this morning, as we, as we kind of dive into this passage, you know, if, if you uh, read in Revelation uh, chapters 2 and 3, you begin to see these... Uh, these messages to the churches. There's seven churches uh, that God has a message for, and he begins to speak to each one of them. And uh, it's important, you know, he, he uses these seven churches um, as a mirror for us, to hold a mirror up to us so that we can know how we should live. You know, the reality is we have to understand that God is speaking to the church of Laodicea. It's a city that we're going to learn about this morning, but the church is also speaking, or that God is also speaking to the church of Crosspoint and to the church of Valdosta, and to the church of America, to the church of the West, and ultimately to the church of the world. And so as we're talking here this morning, it's really important to understand that. But before we get into what he's saying, I think it's really important. The first thing I want you guys to see here is we, we need to see a sovereign God who speaks. We need to understand who is speaking first. I think it's really important to understand who is speaking first. This is John recording for us the very words of Christ. We look here uh, with me again in verse 14. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I love that very first description for Jesus Christ here, the words of the Amen. You guys ever used the word Amen before? Amen. Yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, it, it's funny. We use that word all the time. You know, somebody's like, you know, food's ready, amen, you know? And well, sometimes we use it not necessarily in the wrong context, but, you know, sometimes we don't pay attention to what we're saying when we say amen. You know, when we're saying amen, we're literally saying, let it be so. Or that's the, you know, another, when I was in seminary, we had a professor, uh, instead of saying amen, he would say, that's right. And he'd say it just like that. You'll hear, I still, to this day, I still do that sometimes because that just seems like that's the right thing to say. When I hear something that's right, I say, that's right, you know? And, and, and that's, but here's what we don't want to miss here. This description is not saying Jesus is saying amen. It's saying that Jesus is the amen. He is the truth. John, John 14 and, and verse 6 reminds us, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This is Jesus speaking to us here and now. He's not just saying, I am the truth or I am, you know, it's not, I'm not saying amen. He says, I am the amen. I am the truth. And that's an important to understand because Jesus, as he's speaking to us, he is worthy of that. We have to know and trust that he is speaking to us with all the truth 
that we can possibly understand. And, 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 and so the second thing I want you guys to see here, and I love this uh, title, if you will, The Faithful and True Witness. The Faithful and True Witness. So first, he is the amen. Secondly, he is the faithful and true witness. You know, all throughout Scripture, we see uh, stories and history and evidence of of faithful witnesses. You know, we, uh, last time I, I shared with you guys, I got to share about Stephen. You know, uh, Stephen was one of the first men who gave his life after Christ's resurrection. He gave his life uh, for the testimony and for the witness of Jesus. You know, he, he preached an amazing gospel message and then they stoned him to death, you know? And, and, and we talked about that, but, but not just Stephen, there are all, all of the disciples. Every single one of the disciples were martyred uh, if you guys understand what martyred means, sometimes we think martyr means kill. Uh, you don't have to be killed to be martyred. Uh, ironically, all the disciples were martyred to death except for the one that we're reading this, this morning, John, who wrote Revelations. He was the only one who died. Uh, history tells us he died in his, in his uh, bed of old age. Now, not for lack of trying, John was boiled in oil, right? And he was stabbed with a spear. In other words, you know, they tried to kill him. They tried to, to uh, martyr him uh, for his faith and for his witness, but they couldn't. And so because they couldn't, they exiled, to the, exiled him to the island of Patmos. And that's where he wrote the very words that we're reading this morning. But the point I'm making to you guys is when we read in Scripture and we see over and over again that people that were witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, quite often they gave their life for that witness and for that testimony. And I love this because it goes on to say, not only were they, but also Jesus. He is the faithful and true witness. In other words, he's the most faithful. I mean, the reality is uh, uh, Andrew and James and John and Paul and, and Peter and all those people and, and many other uh, probably thousands throughout the last uh, thousands of years uh, throughout history have given their life on the cross, but they all gave them life. But Jesus, when he gave his life, he gave his life for us, for all of us. He is the faithful and true witness. And you know what that tells me? This is why this is important. is because it says what he has to say, he has earned the right to be heard. He has been a faithful and true witness. He gave his life on the cross for you and for me and so what he has to say to us this morning, he has earned the right to be heard. If there's any question about that this morning. And finally, I, I want to point out this other description, the, excuse me, the beginning of God's creation. The beginning, and it's so funny, I, you know, people take this passage, there's so many places in Revelation chapter 3 that people twist, and this is one of them. They take this, and uh, uh, some of us who maybe have some history or background with Jehovah's Witness, they, this is one of the passages they use to show that Jesus is not equal with God because God created Jesus is what they would say. They would say, you see, it says right here, the beginning of God's creation. In other words, God started with Jesus, and then he created all the rest of it. But that's not what it's saying at all. It's saying that the beginning, the, 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 the genesis, quite literally, the origin of all creation is from Jesus. It's not saying that he was the first. It's saying that he is the originator of all of creation. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 helps us to understand this. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And in verse 16, I love this. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And I love this in verse 17, here it is, and, before, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn, firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You guys, help me, help me uh, worship Jesus this morning. This is the Jesus that we are worshiping. He is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness. He is the, the, the originator of all of God's creation. And by him and through him, all things are held together. That is the Jesus who is speaking to us this morning. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. That is who we are hearing from this morning. He is worthy of the words that we're gonna hear. And I think it's important to understand that because the next words that he's gonna say are pretty hurtful. They're gonna hurt your feelings. They hurt my feelings. If they don't hurt your feelings, something's not quite right, okay? And so as we go in, the second thing I want you guys to see here is the church caught in apathy. I want you guys to see a church caught in apathy. Look in verse 15, it says, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot, that you would be cold or hot. Because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. In verse 18 it says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You know, this is a, a hard passage, I think, uh, for us to really come to terms with because, and, and let me just be clear for just one moment. Here's, the, here's what we tend to try to do. We tend to try to say, okay, well, he's talking about, if you're not sure, he's talking about the church. He's talking to us. He's talking to me, and he's talking to you this morning. He's not talking about lost. He's not talking about people that don't know Jesus, their hearts are far from God. He's talking to every person in this room who would profess to be a believer in Christ, who has a relationship with Christ. He's saying to us, and I believe never more in, in any other passage in, in the book of Revelation, and maybe all of Scripture is a passage more applicable to the church in America. I think he's speaking to us because everything that I read in here, my heart just resonates with. I don't want it to. I'm, I'm guilty of all of these things this morning, and you are too. And we need to come to terms with that. We need to understand that. And I, I love how it begins with, though, in, in the first verse there, in verse 15, it says, I know your works. This word that he uses here, I know your, your works. He's not just saying, I know what you did last summer. He's not just saying, I know what you did. He's saying, I know what you did. I know why you did it. I know how you did it. This is Jesus at the very beginning speaking to the church about apathy and he's saying, I'm putting you on notice. I know your works. By its very implication, he's also saying, I know what are not your works. He's saying, I know when you do things in the name of ministry, in the name of the cross, in the name of this, in the name for, for me, but you're doing it for your own good, for your own selfish pleasure, for your own fulfillment. He's saying, I know when you're doing things that you're not supposed to be doing. He said, I know when you're not doing things that you should be doing. I don't know how many times God says to me, Michael, I want you to go and talk to that person. I say, God, I'm too busy. I got this going on, or I got that going on. 
I can't do this because I'm, yeah, I got a good excuse, Lord. I am doing this for you. It's not just the things that we're doing. It's also the things that we're not doing that we should be doing. But he says, I know your works. He puts us on notice. I, you know, in this day and age, you know, we were, I was having a conversation um, with somebody the other day about this, about how you can't do anything, it seems like, nowadays without getting stuck on camera somewhere, right? I mean, somebody uh, acts the fool or something like that. You're going to find yourself on Facebook or Twitter, YouTube, social media. You know, we talk about this day and age, there's, you know, and, and the, the point that, that, that my friend was making was there's so much accountability now. You know, you can't do anything and get away with it. You know, and it's so funny to me that we have to get to this point in our life, in this generation, where somehow we think the cameras will hold us accountable. Let me just tell you, in the midst of everything that's going on in our, in our country, are cameras holding people accountable? No, they're not. But Jesus is, and he will. He says, I know your works. And he goes on to say, uh, he, he says, he goes on to say, I know your works, you're neither hot nor cold, that you would be hot, hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Spew, spit, vomit. You know, it's funny because sometimes when we read this passage, we, we kind of picture like, you know, like you're drinking coffee or something and somebody says something funny and you go, you know, that's not what he's talking about here. The word quite literally is Vomit. It's this picture of retching. It's this picture of, you know, I'm trying not to get too graphic because some of you I can see already are like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. No. You know, just even thinking about it makes you want to retch, right? It's not a pretty sight. It's not a pretty sight. And he says it's because you're lukewarm. And, and, and here's the thing. Uh, this really, I think, will help us this morning uh, to understand that there's a, there's a geographical and a historical context that's useful to understand here in this passage and this particular part we talk about lukewarm because they, the, the, sometimes our desires, we read this passage and we, again, we twist, it, we twist it out of its context and we say, well, God is saying here, I would rather you be for me or against me, either be hot or cold, you know? You know, we, 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 we mistakenly take hot as good and cold as bad, but that's not what Jesus is saying to us here. And so to understand that, we have to understand some historical and geographical context. You guys know what a, a tri-city tri area is? You ever heard of, tri you know, they live in a tri-city area? It's like where three big cities like come together. You know, when I went to seminary, we lived in North Carolina and, and there was a tri-city area. It was like the triangle is what it was called. You know, it's three big cities. They help each other out. They're, they're very affluent because of that, because they help each other out. And, and you know, what one city lacks, another helps and, and so on and so forth. And as rich and as, and as prosperous as Laodicea was as the church, and we're gonna talk about that more in just a moment, but you have to understand they were a very rich and prosperous uh, city and a very rich and prosperous church, but they had one really big shortcoming as a city. They had a water problem. They didn't have good water. And it was a constant, perpetual issue. And so whenever Jesus is speaking to them, he's saying, you're neither hot nor cold. They understood all too well what was going on here. They, they could kind of translate that uh, and it was just something they just did and understood that sometimes we miss. But there was two other cities in this tri-city area. Colossae, which is the church where we get the letter uh, that Paul wrote to the book, uh, the book of Colossians, right? And then the other uh, city was called Hierapolis, okay? And Colossae was a city that was known for its cold springs. 
You know, it was known for this refreshing, invigorating water that came out of it. It was known for its cold springs. And because they had water uh, to go, they would share their water with the city of Laodicea that had a water problem. They would send their cold water down six miles of aqueduct. And what do you think cold water, after it goes down six miles of pipe, what do you think it tastes like when it gets down to the other end? It's warm. It's lukewarm. And then you, on the other side, you've got Hierapolis, which is this city that's known for its hot springs. It's known for this uh, you know, medicinal balm, just kind of like the same way that like, Yellowstone National Park is known for their geysers and you know, Old Faithful and the hot springs. And people even go and like, spend tons of money to go and sit in those things and, and be invigorated, right? It's, like, it's almost medicinal for people. They have spas and stuff like that. And that's what Hierapolis is known for. And they would take their hot water that came from out of the ground, those geothermal vents, and they would send that water down 11 miles of aqueduct. And what do you think after 11 miles of traveling it would do? It'd be lukewarm. Laodicea had a problem. You guys, it's not, the, the issue was not, Jesus is not pointing out, I would rather you be hot or cold. He's not saying to his church, don't forget, he's not speaking to lost people. He's speaking to the church. He would never say to his church, I would rather you be for me or against me. He will always say to his church, I want you to be for me. I am for you. I want you to be for me. What he's saying is, he's saying you have a problem here and your problem is not that you're hot or cold. Cold is a good thing. Hot is a good thing. You know, I know people in my ministry and in my life that are, that are fervent, they're fierce, they're determined to share the gospel at every moment. They're determined to help people know Jesus and know him more, and they have a, a passion, a burning passion for that. And I know people that are in my life that, that God blesses me with people in my life that are just a cool, refreshing, their encouragement that comes to me is, is just so relieving, is so encouraging. Hot and cold is a good thing. It's not the, the fact that they're hot or cold. It's the fact that they're too far from the source. Laodicea was too far from the source of cold water. He was too far. And that is where we as believers in Christ, as, as the church, when we struggle with apathy, we find ourselves in lukewarm, not because we're hot or cold, not because we're mingled together, but because we're too far from the source of God's encouragement. We're too far from the source of God's fervor, of his fire, that is the problem. And to compound the problem, he said, says, he says, you say, I am rich and have prospered and need nothing. You think the church said that? You think they actually said, I'm rich. I've prospered and I need nothing. They probably didn't literally say that. But by their actions, Jesus says, I know your works. And by your works, you say, I am rich I have prospered and I need nothing. Guys, that is the church of America. I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. And nobody says that. You know what I hear all the time? Everybody loves to point out how poor they are. How hard it is to make ends meet. Everybody loves to point out how a few more dollars would help out when everybody in this room knows if we were to compare our per capita income to just about any other country in the plant, on the planet, we would find ourselves rich beyond measure. Even the worst, even the person in this room that's the worst hand-to-mouth situation has it a 100 times better than many other places in this world. 
We live hand to mouth, but you know what that means? We live hand to mouth. There are so many people in this world by the millions annually that do not. Guys, we are not poor. We are not struggling. We are rich. And we like to say with our mouth that we're poor. By our actions, we say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. And when I say we, I mean me and you. That's where we find ourselves this morning. We cannot afford to look and say, those other people, those other churches, those other we. He goes on to say, to compound issues even further. You say, I am rich, I, am, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not even realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You know, it's bad enough that we say these things with our actions, but we don't even realize how poor spiritually we are, how wretched, how pitiable, how blind, and how naked we are. You know, when I was, uh, I was trying to think of exactly when it was, I think I was eight years old, um, and my brother, Stephen, um, he got mad at my parents. And uh, he decided that he had had it. Seven years old, he decided he had had it, and he was running away from home. You know, dad told him to do something or told him he couldn't do something. I don't even remember what it was. He goes to his room, mad, gets his bag out. He's packing his bag with all of his clothes. You know, he goes to the refrigerator and he throws up in the refrigerator and he grabs a, you know, a juice box and some peanut butter crackers and, you know, goes to the pantry and digs out some stuff and, and he's loading all this stuff up and he puts on his jacket and he puts on his hat and his little goofy Ray-Ban Ray, 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 Ray sunglasses, you know, and then he goes to my dad and he makes this declarative sentence. He says, I'm tired of this. I'm running away from home. And I'll never forget it. I stood there and just kind of listened in like, that's about to happen, you know. It's like that. I just came here for the comments, you know. Anyways, so, you know, so I'm watching, and my dad, just as calm as he could be, said, okay. Go ahead. He said, but before you go, what's in that bag right there? He says, well, I got some clothes and some food. He said, no, 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 no. You can go, but that's my clothes. That's my food. I bought those things. Did you buy that? I bought those things. As a matter of fact, the bag that's holding the things, that's mine too. It's my bowling bag. <laughs> He's like, fine. So he throws his bag down on the ground. He says, I'll go without it. I don't need it. He says, well, go ahead, but hold on a minute. What about those clothes that you're wearing? The shirt on your back and the pants on your backside. I bought those. You didn't buy those. I provided that for you. That's for you. That's for, from a gift from me to you. But if you're going to leave my house, you're going to leave my stuff here and you can go. He goes, says, well, fine. Tears his shirt off and pants down, you know, and just standing there in his undies, his little underoos, you know. He says, I'm still going to go. And he says, all right, well, go ahead. Wait a minute. He let him keep his underwear. Jeez, he's not evil. 
He said, what about your glasses? He says, I paid $120 for those glasses so that you could see. And if this passage is not personified by my little brother standing in front of his father, shaking his fist, saying, I'm gonna run out on you, and knowing, and saying, I'm rich, and not even understanding, he's saying by his actions, I'm rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. And then his father points out to him, you have nothing without me, son. You have nothing. You are wretched, standing there in your underoos. You are pitiable. You are poor. You are blind. And you are naked. And that is us without Christ. So he offers a solution to us. Jesus offers in his infinite mercy. By the way, my brother just went back in his room and played with Legos. <laughs> in his underwear. I counsel you to buy from me. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. You guys have to understand that Laodicea was a wealthy, rich city. They were known, they were quite infamous for their banking and for their banking practices. They had gold in spades. Matter of fact, there was an earthquake that happened back in those days and so many of the cities around there were devastated. But this city was so rich and so wealthy, they were able to, they said, we don't need any help. We have everything we need. They had gold in spades. It kind of reminds me of, of the joke. You know, a man decided he was a banker. He was a wealthy man. And he decided that he was, he was indeed, you know, the old saying, you can't take it with you. He decided, I'm going to take it with me. So before, before everything wound down for him, he decided he took all of his money and all of his wealth. Instead of giving it to his family and to his friends and to his church so that they could do something with it, he decided he was going to pack all that stuff up. He traded it all in for gold, and he loaded it in two big suitcases. And then he goes up to the gates of heaven. It's a joke, right? So he goes up to the gates of heaven with these big old suitcases full of gold, and the person there standing at the gate says, why are you bringing these big old suitcases of pavement? You know, we place so much emphasis on gold, but we have to understand Revelations 21, 21 reminds us that the very streets of heaven are paved with gold. Let me just read it for you for just a second. Revelation 21, 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates were made of a single pearl. In other words, this huge gate was a single pearl. That is a big old oyster, okay? And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Let me just tell you, there is no gold on this planet that is so pure that it is transparent as glass. He's saying even your best, even your best job, even your best gold is not good enough. He says, I advise you to buy gold from me that is refined in the refiner's fire. He goes on to say, and also white garments so that your nakedness may not be seen. You know, Laodicea, they were known, not only were they a banking, but they were known for their textile industry. You know, they made fabric. They were known for making black wool from the sheep that came from that area, that mountainous region around there. And black wool was their thing. And here's Jesus, he's saying, you don't need black wool. You know what you need? White garments. So that your nakedness may not be seen. And finally, salve to anoint your eyes. Laodicea was known as a place where uh, a school for uh, doctors and, and all sorts of things, and, and one of the things they specialized in was ophthalmology. And he says, you don't need that. You know what you need? You need salve from me. 
that I can anoint your eyes so that you may see. You know what he's saying to us? He's saying to, he's saying to us as a church, he's saying, whatever you think you have, whatever you think that you have that's going to take you through, whether it's your gold or whether it's your clothes or whether it's your, even your medicines and all those sorts of things in pursuit of health, wealth, and happiness, all of these things pale in comparison to what I have to offer. Take it from me and I'll give it freely. If you try to go and do it yourself, it's gonna be a waste. No gold you have is gonna be good enough. No clothing you have is gonna be good enough. No medicine you have is gonna be good enough. None of it can grant eternal life. Only me. And so finally, I want you guys to see here an amazing promise. Look at me in verse 19. It says, those whom I love, remember this is the message to the church. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. In verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me, and the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as also I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And in verse 22, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. You know what the promise here, the, the promise that he's saying to us, there's two amazing promises here. One, he's saying, I will punish you. I will reprove you. I will re correct you. You see, it's a promise to us. I will get on to you. I will eat your lunch. That's, that's the term that I use, you know? But he says, you know why I do it? I do it because I love you, because I care about you, because I, because I know you and I want the best for you. I, if I let you just sit off to the side and be apathetic and just do whatever you wanna do and, and say to yourself, whether you say it by, by words or by actions, if I just let you sit there and say, I am rich, I am prospered, I have need of nothing. He has to correct that. If he didn't, he would show that he didn't love us. And we have to be prepared for that correction. We have to be ready for that. Proverbs chapter three, in verse 11, it says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves and as a father, the son in whom he delights. And what an amazing picture of God's love for us. He corrects us because he loves us. That's what I try to help my little six-year-old, my four-year-old understand. Guys, I'm not doing this to ruin your life. I'm doing this to save your life. I don't tell you you have to hold hands with me in the parking lot because I'm some weirdo who wants to ruin your life. I care about you, and I know people are crazy, and they drive like maniacs. When I see you sticking a fork into a light socket, I don't snatch the fork out of your hand and get onto you and send you to your room because I hate you and I want to ruin your fun. I say it because I love you and I care about you. And I want you to live. Do not grow weary of his reproof. 1 Corinthians 11 says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. You guys understand the fact that Jesus even speaks to us at all is an amazing promise. Even when he's getting on to us. It's proof. And he's doing it because he wants us to be saved. He wants us to have eternal life. And finally, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? 
my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Sound familiar? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If he does not discipline you, he does not love you. He gives us these words of truth this morning. He tells us that we are wretched, poor, pitiable, and blind and naked, not to hurt our feelings, but to save us, to protect us, to help us, to save us from the worthlessness of apathy to pull us away from that. So now we have to ask a very important question. One, two, three. So what? There we go. If you're visiting with us for the first time, it's, not a, it's just a weird thing that I do, but I have to ask myself the question, so what? What does this mean for me? So Jesus is a sovereign God. He is the amen. He is the faithful witness. He is the uh, faithful and true witness. He is the originer, originator of all of creation. So what? What does that mean to me? How do I apply that to, how do I make that mean something for me today and tomorrow to fight against apathy? So we see the church caught in apathy. We see us struggling like a, like a fly caught on a spider's web. So what? Is there anything we can do about it? Is that what we do? We just say, well, you know, I heard somebody say the other day about a child who was just a very disobedient child. He said, well, that's just, that's just him. No, 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 no. That is not, yeah, that's what you should be doing. We don't just leave them to their devices. We don't just leave them caught in the web no more than Jesus leaves us caught in bondage to slavery and, and to sin. So what? That there's an amazing promise that he disciplines those whom he loves. What does that mean for us? How do we fight back against apathy? I skipped over this earlier. I'm hoping some of you guys call this. Look with me back at verse 18. You know, if you ever listen to me preach, I, I love to point out the little things that we missed. We just go over those little speed bumps and we don't even like look back. And this is one of those. In verse 18, it says, I counsel you to buy from me. I remember the first time I ever read that passage, I counsel you to buy from me, and I thought, I thought salvation was free. Why? Why would I have to buy from Jesus? How? How could I? The Word of God just told us. The Word of God just made it very clear that you are broke. You are blind and you are buck naked. How could I buy gold when I am broke? How could I buy white garments when I am broke? How can I buy salve so that I may see if I don't have any money? 
There's another passage that addresses this, and I, I think it speaks to us. Isaiah chapter 55, if you want to turn there. Isaiah chapter 55 in the, in the first few verses. This is God speaking to us. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. You know what I think this passage is saying? We ask ourselves the question, how do we buy from God if we're broke? And the answer is quite literally, you don't. You can't. And if you try, you're wasting your time. Your gold is not good enough. Your clothes are not good enough. Your medicine is not good enough. Do not waste your time. How do we buy? Here's the thing, we don't buy with money. There's a different type of currency that God is speaking to us about here. He's talking about a different currency and he says it over and over again in this passage. Did you guys hear it? Come. Let me read it again. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and here it is again and come to me. That is the currency with which we buy from God. We come to him. That's all that he asks for. That's all that he gave his life on the cross for. He gave his life on the cross so that a broken relationship could be made right so that we could come to him. He says, I want you to come to me. If you are thirsty, come to me. I will give you water. You don't have to buy it. There is no amount of money that could do that. If you are poor, if you are without clothing, if you are naked, whatever your situation, all you have to do is come to me. That's the currency. Church, we need to come to him. Look with me back in verse 20 for just a moment. It gets even better, guys. Verse 20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And here's the thing, guys. We read this passage. This is the other part of the familiar passage. One was the lukewarm, and, and I will spit you out of my mouth, which we get wrong. And the other is this right here. We say, come, you know, and we take this passage. Uh, you know, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in 
And we use, and you know how I know we twist this and we rip this passage kicking and screaming out of its context? It's because we slap it on the back of Christian tracks when we share Jesus with people that don't know Jesus. And we say to people, we say to people, come, I stand at the door knocking. If you open the door, if you open the door, I will come into you as if this is a message for the lost, but it's not a message for the lost. This is a message for the saved. This is a message for the saints. This is a message to us. This is the best part of that amazing promise. Stop using this to reach the lost. This passage is to reach us. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And eat with him and he with me. This morning as we close, and I hope that on your mind it's not what you're gonna eat for dinner or how you're gonna stay dry, because you heard it too, right? I hope that's what's in the back of your mind and what's in the forefront of your mind this week and every day. How do I fight against the worthlessness of apathy? How? How could I buy from Jesus gold and clothing? And and how can I see? And his answer is simple. Just come. Come to me. Come back to me. Just as the scripture told us, it's not an issue of hot or cold. Some people are hot. Some people are cold. Those are good things. He said, I want you to be one or the other. He says, I don't want you to be too far from the source. I see people who are encouragers by nature and, and, their, and their encouragement, that cool, refreshing encouragement that comes from them, it wanes and it softens and then all of a sudden they're no good to anybody. They're no longer a Barnabas, an encourager. You know why? Because they have walked away from God, because they have slipped away from the source of that cool, refreshing encouragement. I see people who are on fire for Jesus and love Jesus with everything they have and they wanna shout to the rooftops the amazing strength and power of God and then over time, that fervor wanes. The same way that you would take a coal and remove it from the fire. And what happens? It sparks and then it sputters and then it gutters and then it dies. Here's the amazing thing though. What happens if you pick that coal up and put it back into the fire? It rekindles and it gains its fire and it gains its fervor. You know why? Because it comes back to the source. That's what we must do to fight against the worthlessness of apathy. We must come to the source of our encouragement, come to the source of our fervor. In a few moments, we're gonna sing a last song. We're gonna have an opportunity to respond. And I know what the inclination for most of us in the room is to do. I don't wanna go down front. Everybody's gonna know I'm apathetic. What if we all just kind of go down front at once and admit the truth that we are all caught in apathy? What if we all as a church acknowledge this morning You know, we have to eat the fruit of bitterness, of reproof, because it's strong for us 
but we can also eat the fruit of encouragement that I stand at the door and I knock and anyone who opens the door, I will come in. You come to me and I will come in to you. And we can have fellowship together.